0: And let's give a warm welcome to Susie Atwood, who's going to be preaching today. (laughs) She's She's going to pray for Susie. Father, we just want to thank you for Susie. Thank you so much for the gift you've put in her. We want to honour that, Lord. We really do. We want to receive from that. We pray that she would know the freedom of the Holy Spirit in her mind and in her heart as she brings your word today. And we will be built up, encouraged, rescued freshly, Lord, as we, see, as we fix our eyes on you. Holy Spirit, help her and help us, I pray. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Steph. Hello, good morning. Lovely to be speaking to you again. Wasn't that amazing, time of worship? Um, Just reminded that our confidence, my confidence, I don't feel confident at all this morning, but um, my confidence is in God and in Jesus, and we have victory through him. And we're just... um, Something that really resonated with this sermon, I think that you said, Davina, was that we're safe in his love. We're not safe outside of his love, but... um, yeah, he he just brings so much safety and peace when we know that and when we submit to him. So, for those of you who've been around for the last couple of months, you'll know that we're in a series in a book in the Old Testament called the Song of Songs. It's an amazing book. It's only tiny, and it's often ignored. Um, it's unique, I guess, because there's no mention of God. God isn't mentioned in the book. It doesn't describe history. It's not a recount of Jesus' life, it's not a sort of book of wisdom or rules on how best to live. It's not sort of explicitly theological in that way that I guess we might find more comforting if it was, or clear. Um, It's actually an ancient love poem, but as with all good poetry, um, its slightness, the fact that it's so um, short, I guess, doesn't mean that it's not weighty and that that God doesn't want to speak through his Holy Spirit to us um, today. And it's full of profound truth. Profound truth of God's beauty and love that you just wouldn't get if it was in another form. If it was a historical account or if it was a guide or list of instructions. Imagine that. That would be a bit weird. Number one, love your partner. Number two, tell them they are very beautiful. That would... um, Thank goodness that, you know, that life and (laughs) poetry brings a richness that um, is much more imaginative and poetic, um, and really grateful that God has given us this book. Um, So on one level, the book is is a, a love poem between two human lovers, between a man and wife, but it's also been read throughout time by early church fathers and scholars as being a picture of God's undivided and exclusive love for us, the church, who are called his bride. And I guess what I'm so longing for us today is for us to realise we need to capture, we need to be absorbed by the beauty of God in all his fullness, like we have done this morning, we've captured his beauty and his love for us. And it's often just too easy to be taken out by a different sort of love, a substitute beauty, quick fixes of affirmation or attention from the opposite sex, giving room to thoughts that we shouldn't really indulge. There's plenty of distractions in the world from the pure love that God has for us and the pure love that if we're married that we should share exclusively between our man and wife. So the love we'll see in this passage today is about an exclusive love. And I think that's really important to hear when there's so much else vying for our attention. In this book, you'll see everyone else is insignificant. It's just the man and the woman and their adoration for each other. And God wants those in the church who are married to enjoy each other with this exclusivity, to only see each other's inner and outer beauty, not get distracted by other people, other tasks in life, by work. Because God knows that his undivided love, he gives that, the couple that, that power to have this undivided love, is a reflection of his, his love for us. And like I was reminded that 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 act of love brings so much safety. You'll know it if you're in a a, a good marriage that it brings safety and peace that you can't get. And the same for us, all of us with God. If we live in him, we have perfect peace through his love. It says perfect love casts out fear. And the expression of speaking out love, like these lovers do, is really powerful. There's a proverb that says, um, words have the power to bring life. So appreciation of who God is. And telling him that, singing this morning, amazing songs that came, that gives life to each of us. That's, that, I feel more alive. I felt really weak this morning thinking, I don't know how to do this. And just through your faith, through God's spirit moving in us, has given me an amazing confidence that I just don't have naturally. So, you know, thank you, God. Um, yeah, I think we're often too impatient, aren't we? or too small-minded or or busy to realise how good it is to simply love someone. Not to see a relationship as being useful or serving a function. There are, of course, uses in all relationships, if you're married, and also in our relationship with God. But that's not the point of love. There's something much deeper that we can enjoy In God, when we love him, it's his absolute beauty. And what's so unbelievable is that if we submit to that, honestly, in our weakness and in our sin, if we confess and ask for his forgiveness, miraculously, God looks through Jesus at us and he sees us as beautiful. Because we're found in him. And we can't do anything to make ourselves holy. But when we give ourselves to him in our hearts, he just loves it. And like this couple, we'll see, telling each other just how beautiful they are. It becomes an endless dialogue of praise. We're just like, wow, God. And he's like, wow, I see you changing with my Holy Spirit. It's this ongoing dialogue that's going to last for eternity, it says, in heaven. And so preparing for this, I guess I was really um, made aware that it's important to step back and think about love. Sorry for the slight love essay. Um, and adoration, because I know, I know being unmarried myself, it can, be, it can be difficult to listen to so many sermons on the beauty of married marriage in, in such a physical way, um, which is why I think God wants to remind us that this physical love is just a small reflection of the desire and the power that comes through his love for us in the Holy Spirit. And as Steph mentioned in um, his sabbatical, he looked at the most beautiful psalm, Psalm um, 27, he reflected on that where David, the writer, says that in everything in life, there's just one thing out of everything in life that he wishes for. He says, there's one thing I seek... That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire of him in his temple. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire of him in his temple. And it's this act of gazing without awareness of time or purpose or function. This is my heart's desire for us to grasp this morning. Do we do that? Do we prioritise time with Him? Because if we don't, we'll wither and we'll shrink. Yeah, right. If we're not spending time in adoration, speaking out of Christ's beauty and listening to His words of love over us. We'll become mute. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> we we can't pray so easily. We're not able to sing out in worship freely if we're not taking in the stunning beauty of Jesus in all his humility and sacrificial love for us. One of my favourite speakers, I think Adam, you sent me a sermon by him like 10 years ago, Francis Chan. He um, speaks about this verse in Psalm 27 and says, um, the the verse, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He said, if someone was to transcribe your prayers... Write down your prayers. What would, what would they see? Would it be, God, I just want to know you. I want to be in your presence. I want to gaze on you. I want to stand in absolute wonder. that I've been brought into your throne room where Jesus is sat at your right hand. I don't need anything else. I don't want anything else. Remind me every day this is all I need. Would, would, we, would we see a constant kind of heart song, poem, love poem of adoration? Or would it be lists of, you know, God, can you help me with this? Or can you change this? Or can you help this situation or work or this relationship? It's striking, isn't it? I was really challenged by this because the the point of, of a love poem, but the point of this Song of Songs is that the lovers are just gazing on each other's beauty, searching for it when it goes, finding it again, delighting in it. There's no sort of narrative end to the story. There's no finally after they told each other how much they loved each other, they realised that was all good, and then they moved in to a nice house, and then they looked for work, and then they had this, and then they sort of... There's no there's no functional like ending to this story. Um, I like writing, and I, I write for my job, and, you know, it, the, the, that's not the point of love poetry. It's not got a beginning, middle, and end. This seems just to be repetition. And, um, it, you know bit ridiculous sometimes but actually that that that's the point that I'm wanting to sort of get across that um it's amazing when we just speak out this dialogue to of love for God and him for us and I guess not only that that the man and the woman in in the book don't even describe each other's attributes other than physical and sort of emotional love it's remarkable, really. We will get to the passage, by the way. Um, if, you think about, if you think about it, I found it a bit uncomfortable, if I'm honest. You know, it's like, okay, another passage about this. Um, it's not even a sort of holy, the man telling the wife, I love the way you care for the poor. I love your patience. I love how, I love how you always work hard. None of it. It's just sort of heady, romantic love. I mean, what's it doing in the Bible? There's, there's a point, isn't there? It's an ongoing expression of heartfelt love and devotion without a care of time. And love is just mysterious in this way. It's powerful. So I just want to remind before we begin... Um, it, this is half the sun, by the way. Um, if we're ignoring that fundamental love and adoration for God, and if you're married... Ignoring just the simple act of loving for loving, for the sake of loving. And you're trying to get tangible outcomes. You'll end up frustrated and insecure. Why won't he or she change? Why won't God make, give me more? <laughs> Davina? <laughs> Or, you know, for, for ourselves, I pray, you know, why won't you give me more open doors that work? Or why won't you make me more patient? Yeah. <laughs> but if we love first, growth will come. And I guess that's what uh, came through this morning. If we abide, that was the verse I've had. If we abide in Him, we'll bear much fruit. So if we love first, if we love God and just gaze on His beauty, fruit will come not through coercion, not through impatience, through love. A flower blossoms in its time, doesn't it? Through care, through watering, through the sun, everything, and it blossoms in the most beautiful way. So, sorry for the slight pre-sermon sermon. sermon. Um, God wants to beautify us. We're in um, Song of Songs, Chapter 6. He wants to make us, as a church, a pure and spotless bride... Where we confess our sin and our hopelessness without him, and receive his grace for us today, and the human love we 'll read about today is just an echo of the divine love, and I just pray that um, we 'll be softened by his love this morning and that we'll absorb it, and that um that that faith that we 've experienced, the spirit giving us confidence. That um that's gonna bring fruit, the most beautiful fruit, at the right time. Be patient. So I'll just pray, God, please renew our hearts and our minds for you today, Lord. Lord, I pray that um we'd be open and we'd be soft to you, God, that we wouldn't think, oh, you know, more of the same love poetry. But we'd be um just you'd reveal your spirit and your absolute exclusive love for us today. And we're so sorry that we're divided in our hearts and our minds. And I pray that you would just quieten us now by your spirit. You'd help um, the right words um, penetrate right into our heart where we need it, where we need to know your forgiveness, Father. We need to know your power, that it's not um, through any strength of our own. God, it's your your power made perfect in our weakness. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful book. I pray I'll be able to do it justice in your name. Amen. So we um we got it up, Um, chapter six of Song of Songs, and it's the first nine verses. So the others, which are a group of women, they say, "Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned?" that we may seek him with you. And she replies, My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. Then he replies to her, You are beautiful as Terzar, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. But my love... My perfect one is the only one. The only one of her mother, pure to her, who bore her. The young woman saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines also, and they praised her. So I'm going to try and speak on the theme of exclusiveness um, today. In verse 9 it says, My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. Like I was saying, there's an undivided attention here. The man is saying, there's no one else but you. I don't see anyone else. And this undivided love exists between God and us too. He looks on us when we accept his forgiveness and he sees Jesus' blood that covers all our sin and shame. And there's this intentional love he has that for each of you, even if you you don't know it and you haven't experienced it this morning. He has this intentional, exclusive love. I mean, we can't understand it as humans, but God sees each of our hearts this morning. And he says, my dove, my perfect one, is the only one when we receive him. So starting from the beginning, verse 1 shows the other women asking the bride where her beloved's gone. It follows on from the previous passage in chapter 5 that Steph preached on last week, where the bride has sung a love song about her lover after the dark night trying to find him when he went missing in the city. And then once she's found him, she describes him in amazing detail. His eyes are like doves, his mouth's most sweet, he's altogether lovely, she says. She calls him her beloved and friend. This is in chapter 5. And it's interesting that she isn't talking. She doesn't talk directly to him there. It's not, you are my beloved, you are my friend, your eyes are like doves. She's singing it to her friends. She's sort of exclaiming it. She's sort of proclaiming it outwards. And then they're desperate to find him. Look, it says in verse 1, where's your beloved gone? That we might seek him with you. They're so impressed and inspired by her praise for him. They want to seek after him too. He's famous. Her love draws them in. And I guess, do we speak of Jesus' loveliness and his beauty and his kindness so profoundly that others hear and say, wow, where is he? where can i find him can i go after him too speaking out words have a powerful effect and it attracts others don't we want to be pointing towards jesus we want those at work or college or you know where, wherever we are to be asking who's this you're talking about how can you be so kind to that person who's done wrong to you how can you sort of do this We want to be pointing towards Jesus, making him famous. And for husbands and wives, I know from being like the others in in this passage, it's the most wonderful thing when um, someone speaks of how lovely their spouse is. It honours them and it points towards God, which is a reflection, this higher relationship of God and the church. So often wives complain their husbands don't do enough. Or aren't decisive enough, or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I know we need to be encouraging healthy dialogue within marriages, but I think we also need to be careful creating boundaries. What's said outside of that, too, because it does have consequences. So in verse two, the woman answers their question. He says, "She says, my beloved has gone down to his garden, to the bed of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies." And we've heard this sort of imagery before, haven't we? It's very evocative, grazing among the lilies. But I think there's this timelessness. There's a sense of intimacy and lingering that's really important. Spending time without pressure. It's important to learn from each other, to take time to listen to each other if you're married, because it will bring intimacy without this sort of schedule or sort of purpose. And I think with God, it's the, the, the most that I've spoken about it before, is the, the time that I've learned so much is when I'm just silent before God, meditating on a few words from the Bible, without a sort of, come on, I need to get more better at this, or I need this to change, or whatever. We need to take time to listen to him. Because well, look what happens, what that brings when we do that. She says, I am my beloveds. And my beloved is mine. She's confident. She's super confident. And she's claiming this with complete abandonment and trust. She belongs to him and he to her. And this is the exclusivity we should enjoy with God. If we know that we are his and he is ours, we have this great sense of peace and trust. We're not insecure Waiting for attention or affection. it's what keeps us if we're single. We're not looking for that distraction. We're not sort of insecure. We are whole in Christ. And intimacy with God brings this deep peace that we know that you know, we know we're completely, I suppose, complete. We're not looking for attention. It's so easy to do, isn't it? We're complete in Him. Do we know that, or are, or are we sort of apologising to Him for not giving, you know, enough of our time? Do we feel guilty? Because if if we do, it's okay. If we uh, um, tell God that, if we confess our sin, He's so quick to love us. And as we'll see, He just loves it when we give Him our attention. <laughs> then we come on to this, this final bit with the, um, well, the second half of the man speaking from verse 4 to 7. He describes her. And um, don't just think, oh, I've heard this before. Hair like goats. <laughs> Teeth like sheep. All that. Love chat. <laughs> um, there's wisdom in, in repetition. Because <laughs> we, we need it. We need it. I mean, I was like, okay, another one of these. <laughs> right, good. Um, but there's wisdom. Because like, we are like silly sheep. We get, we get told something. We hear a sermon. And then we wander off again into the brambles, don't we? We learn something from God. Yet we still seem to get ourselves in the same pickle again. And that's why it's so important, that that's why the man is telling her again his feelings for her. God tells us of his love again for us, and again, and again. And he calls her my love. And he compares her to these two cities, Jerusalem and Terzah. Never heard of Terzah before. Um, And Jerusalem, as we know, was the holy city, it is the holy city. It was the national center of worship at the time where God's presence dwelt in Solomon's temple. And now we know through Jesus that we have the spirit of God dwelling in us. Wow. So God, where where the man looks on the woman here and sees a holiness in her, a radiance, today if we trust in Jesus and we're abiding in him, God looks at us today, his church, and says, you are so beautiful, You're radiant, just like Jerusalem, because my spirit is at your centre. And there's a naturalness to her beauty. That's what Terzah, the city, was known for, its natural beauty. It wasn't fancy, and I don't think you can call us fancy here this morning. Um, You know, we don't need to hide behind a sort of fancy exterior, We can just come to God as who we are, in all our pride and all our weakness, and ask for His forgiveness. For His forgiveness. And so He He says that she is awesome as an army, as an army with banners in verse four, which might not seem the most sort of imagery, easiest imagery to understand. But I think what He's saying here is like an army coming back from battle. Even though she's been through war. Even though the army's been through war, they, they, even though they'd suffered, that they're victorious in love. And isn't that the story of the gospel, of Jesus suffering death but overcoming it so that we can take on his righteousness and forgiveness and then wave banners of love? That's a verse from earlier in the book. His banner over me is love. And we know that um, suffering, it says in Romans 8, the sufferings of the age are not worthy to compare to the glory or incomparable beauty to be imparted and revealed in us in time. So suffering beautifies us when we lean on him. Trials in this life will bring glory if we trust in Jesus. He's the only one. (laughs) We're not beautiful without him. And it's the same in marriages. Difficulties can make you beautiful in the end because strength of character comes through suffering with the help of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5 says, don't give up hope. Hope in the Holy Spirit will never disappoint. And then we have this amazing verse, verse 5, of the bride's gaze that overwhelms him. Turn your eyes, turn away your eyes from me, he says, for they overwhelm me. The eyes are the entrance to the soul, they say. Do we look at Jesus like that, in all honesty? It's amazing that if we do, God says, even a glance from you will overwhelm me. When you're submitted to the Holy Spirit and you look at me, he's just, wow, if we're not distracted by other things that get in the way. In Hebrews 12, it says, we need to fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because our devotion is irresistible to him. It's irresistibly beautiful. I was reminded of the story, So I need to cough. <coughs> in um, Matthew, um, Luke 7, I think, <clears throat> of Mary, the sinner, weeping at Jesus' feet. She's pouring out expensive oil, perfume on his feet. It's such a picture of humility. And that devotion, that glance, when we just give our devotion to him, even if we feel so broken, even if we have done the worst thing, even if we just think, I can't get myself out of this sin. That darkness, the love of the most fallen people, Jesus says, when they submit to him, brings the most love. It says she has been forgiven much, loves much. And we need to know that humility this morning. If you feel like I'm just not in this heady love romance, like this passage, I'm not experiencing that. God's saying, it's okay, you can come to me with your tears, with your humility, and you can ask for forgiveness. Which takes me on to my final point in verse 9. The man sums up his love with this exclusive, exclusive statement. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. The only one of her mother, pure to her, who bore her. She's unique to him, better than queens, concubines and virgins, He describes her as the perfect one, someone mature, which is what God's ultimate desire for us as the church is to be mature, perfect like him. He's making us more and more like him. He's beautifying us. He wants us to be filled with the maturity that belongs to the fullness of Christ, it says in Ephesians 4. And we'll be made perfect in his love. Glorious and radiant, it says, without spot or wrinkle. And how does, that, how does that beauty come? You know, I don't feel beautiful at all. It comes through trusting and obeying and enjoying his love, abiding in his love, and then you'll bear much fruit. So are we setting ourselves aside for Christ? Christ? Are we taking time to just turn our attention to him? Or are we being adulterous in our hearts, keeping on with this imagery? And when praying about this sermon, I was aware too often I'm adulterous in my heart, in my thoughts and in my actions. And adultery can be turning our attention to things on earth rather than choosing to love God. As in marriage, a husband and wife don't just leave their parents when they get married. They also leave all other women and all other men behind. And it's a passionate monogamy in marriage that brings this intimacy and this courage that we've experienced this morning in worship such courage, such sort of bold abandonment. And it's this monogamy, I can't say it. And that that courage means that if you're married, you can have have intimacy through for better or worse, for richer or poorer, for sickness and in health. It's really hard to keep our bodies holy, isn't it? Either if we're single, or giving yourself fully to your spouse if you're married, without sort of disappointment or I don't know. But it's hard to disassociate our bodies with how the world perceives them, speaks about them. They're completely sexualised in a really reductive and unhelpful way. And it's tempting to believe this for ourselves. So often the way we think about our bodies and sex is just surrounded by guilt. Almost like something that can't really be spoken about for shame. And but then it remains in the dark, if that's the case. And I was taken to Psalm 139, where um, God says, "He searches us and He knows us." And this verse I'd never seen in this way before. It says, "What seems as dark to you is as day and light to him. Nothing's too dark for him." And I had these phrases, "Purify our passion and sanctify our sexuality." Don't misplace your passion. God has come to redeem that. And it may seem weird to make this link between the sort of physical sexuality um, and spiritual love for God. But the imagery is there in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17, in a passage about sexual immorality, it says that he who sleeps with a prostitute becomes one with her. And then immediately it says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So glorify God with your bodies. And that's what's so there's something so deeply profound about being a Christian where we know and love Jesus. There's this spiritual union between God and us through his Holy Spirit. And it's stronger than any union between a man and wife. His Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to remain pure and to remain holy sexually if we're single. And to also to be sexually united freely in marriage. Look at the couple in this song. They're just, they're just adoring each other, aren't they? And we really need to pray that we, we set ourselves, set our bodies and our minds apart for him. And pray that he'll renew our minds and hearts about this. I need it so badly. It says in Romans 12 offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. So I guess it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Sorry if it's been a bit all over the place. But um, I guess what I'd love us to do is to. Something that I'd love to grow in more, and as a church we need to grow in more, is to gaze—that act of gazing—to look upon the beauty of the Lord. And there's a song. Um, if Kate, the guys, if you want to come up, a song that I'm—I've been listening to. Um, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. So let's um, sing that. And if, if you anything's sort of struck a chord with you, do um, come and speak to one of the elders or someone who you know. Um, yeah, and pray that God will really um, bring us from strength to strength and we can be more and more confident in his freedom. Amen. Thanks.